Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you, good to be with you. Uh, we, we're in a series this, uh, just continuing this week um, called By Faith, where we are walking through the book of, or the chapter of Hebrews 11. Uh, Hebrews 11 is this, just this great, uh, this great list, this great record of, uh, of our fathers and mothers in the faith uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Enoch, who's maybe one of the least known uh, characters. There's not a lot about Enoch in the scriptures. Uh, and we move to today, one of the best known, I think, characters uh, in, the, in the, the Bible, who is Noah. Uh, today, we're going to see three things. We're going to see Noah's faith. We're going to see Noah's obedience. Uh, we're going to see Noah's salvation. Let, let's pray once more, and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much uh, for today. Thank you for your word. I thank you that, that we get to worship you and praise you together. I thank you that we get to sit now together under your word. I, I just ask that we, we could sit under your word. We wouldn't exalt ourselves, um, think that, that because of our minds and our reason and our logic uh, that we can judge your word, but instead that we would truly um, pl- place ourselves under the authority of your word. And that, that, Lord, just that you would speak to us by your spirit. Um, you know that I have nothing good to say in myself. Uh, you know that I, I have never changed one heart, even my own. Uh, it's only you. It's only your power. It's only uh, by your help that, uh, that we are changed, that we see what we need to see, um, that we, uh, we can understand. And so would you help us? Would you please uh, speak to each one of us today? In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Noah's faith. Noah's faith. Uh, the flood narrative, so uh, what, what Hebrews 11, 7 is referring to is, is found back in Genesis, as you, as you probably know, Genesis uh, chapter 6 through 8. And Genesis 6, 5 says this, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. The flood is the the archetypal story uh, of God's judgment. Um, God sees sees rampant wickedness on earth uh, and he's deeply grieved by that. God, God is deeply grieved by sin. God takes sin personally right, because sin is, is ultimately against him. Even sin against a, a person is ultimately sin against God because uh, you, you sin against someone made in the image of God and you disobey God himself. And it grieves the heart of God that people who he made in his image and made for his glory would instead pursue evil and would, uh, would pursue a wickedness continually. And so he decides, as is his right as the creator and sustainer of everything, um, to, to wipe every, everything out, right? I think we struggle with that sometimes. Uh, you know, how can God do this? Well, he made everything. Everything belongs to him. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He has a right over what he has made. We belong to him. And so uh, he, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, start new, with every one except one man and his family, and that's Noah. Verse nine of Genesis six, these are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. 
Noah, like Enoch, if you remember, walked with God, the text says. And Noah is the one person among his contemporaries who, who walks with God, and God has mercy on him by warning him of the coming judgment. Uh, this is, this is what, what Hebrews says. Noah was warned about what was not yet seen. Right? And here's where we begin to really see, I think, Noah's, Noah's faith. God tells Noah he's going to bring a flood to destroy all mankind, to destroy the earth. Uh, this is not something that had ever happened before. It wasn't something that, that Noah had seen, that he had a precedent for. Uh, you know, from, from Genesis 2, 5, and 6, it seems that, that in, in the, the world before the flood, there, there had not even been rain, right? It says that the mist just came up and watered the earth. And so this news would have sounded incredible, impossible, right? Noah, it says, was, was 600 years old when the flood came. You think a, an 80-year-old man is old and set in his ways. Like, think about a 600-year-old man. Uh, so he's seen some life, right? Uh, and he, he, no offense if you're 80 years old. Uh, I'm sure that's not you. Um, uh, <laughs> he, he, right, but Noah, could've, he could have reasoned this away in a lot of ways, couldn't he? Right? Man, that can't be true, you know? I, I've seen a lot in my 600 years, and, you know, things, things don't change that drastically, if God really judged sin, if he really cared about judging sin, I think he would have done something about it before now. But it seems like evil people just keep getting more and more evil and God never judges. He doesn't seem to care. But this isn't what Noah says. Noah heard God's warning and he believed his words. It's a very simple thing, right? Just believe God's words. Just trust that what he says is true. And you might say, well, it's easy for Noah, you know, we, like we assume he spoke, God spoke to Noah audibly, uh, it, but he's not as clear with us. If God spoke to me audibly, I would do the same thing. He's not as clear now. But isn't he? God, as far as we know, didn't write a book for Noah, uh, but he, he did write a book for us. We have God's word. And in fact, I think there's, there are more par parallels between Noah's day and ours than we might initially think. I don't know if you know this, but people are still sinful, right? God, the, the flood didn't wipe out sin from the earth, right? Sin carried on uh, and wickedness carried on as God knew they would. And, and God has, has given us, in the same way as he did in Noah, some clear warnings of coming judgment, Right, hear, the, hear the words of Jesus about the day of judgment from Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Now, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven or, nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. 
Noah believed God's warning. He trusted God's word. And I wonder, do we? Do we trust? Do we believe? Do we know deep in our bones that there's a day of judgment coming where we will see the Son of Man in glory? Do we trust the way that he has said to be saved from that judgment? Next, we'll see Noah's obedience. Noah's obedience. Uh, Genesis 6.22 says, he did everything that God had commanded him. Noah built the boat to the specifications that God gave him, right? There weren't a lot of boats of this magnitude, uh, most likely then. And so God was very specific in his instructions. You can read it. He's like, use this kind of wood, and here's the dimensions, and make sure you leave a window at top so the fresh air can get in. There's three decks. Right, he, there's very specific instructions, and Moses did all of it, right? It built it exactly to his specifications, he brought the animals in as God commanded him, two by two, right? As we, we tell our kids, this is the great, you know, Noah's the great story we tell our kids before bed where God kills everyone, right? Um, it's, it's a wonderful children's story. And, and notice, notice Noah's perseverance, right? To build a boat of this magnitude would have taken many, many years, right? Before modern tools, like many, several decades, most likely. And so this wasn't just a one-time act of obedience, Right, a one-time act of faith. It, it was a life of consistent and faithful obedience to the word of God, depending on his promise in spite of every evidence to the contrary. What, what do you think Noah's neighbors must have thought of him building a, a boat the size of a football field in the middle of, you know, not near water? He didn't have to launch this boat anywhere. How must they have ridiculed him Throughout the narrative, Noah is faithful. Genesis 7, 5 says, Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him again. Some, some of us don't think that God would ever ask us to do something that doesn't make sense. Right? We, we assume that God would only call us to something that makes sense, right? that makes us more comfortable or more rich or, or more you know, better regarded I wonder, are we open to, what, to whatever God might tell us to do? do? Do we think that he could say to us anything? Do we think he could say to us, like he said to the rich young ruler, go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor? Is he saying that to you? I don't know. Could he? Noah's faith, his trust in the unseen led him to obedience. That's how we know it was faith, right? It was, it was wholehearted, fully committed, not, not hedging his bets, not playing the fence, right? It was, I'm gonna obey God in everything he says. He, Hebrews tells us that Noah was motivated by godly fear. He's motivated by godly fear. Not, not all fear is bad. There is godly fear, a right assessment of who God is, of, of our time in history, of what God has said and has promised, of what the future looks like for us and for others. There's a godly fear that honors God's word and believes God's promise. And you can imagine one of Noah's contemporaries, 
right? Let's call him Lamech. There seemed to be a lot of Lamechs around back then. Um, you can imagine Lamech sitting back and sipping wine and watching Noah, you know, deluded, crazy, I hear from God, Noah, you know, building his ginormous boat. And you can imagine Lamech sitting there and saying, you're afraid of a flood, Noah? Don't you know God doesn't want us to be afraid? Come on, relax, stop this nonsense. And, and Noah might say, Lamech, I'm, I'm not afraid because I fear God and I know that he'll rescue me. But you should be afraid. God's judgment is coming, repent. Right? Cry out to God, turn, out, turn, turn from your evil. Maybe he will rescue, maybe he will save you. If we look at our lives for a moment, if you aren't yet a Christian, you don't trust Jesus, do you live your life like this world is all there is? Or do you think about the future? And not just 30 or 40 years from now, but 300 or 3,000 or 3 million years from now. What if, in fact, you have an eternal soul what if there is a day of judgment and you'll stand trial for your life? Believer in here, Christian, how, how does your life, how do our lives look any different from someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead? What practical difference does God's word and his promise concerning coming judgment make on your life? What, what about your life only makes sense because Jesus is coming back soon? Shouldn't that be a factor? <laughs> Peter, uh, in his second letter, reminds the church of the coming day of judgment, and he talks about Noah, actually. Uh, and he says, there are some who foolishly say, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning. He's talking about skeptics of the coming judgment, right? They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter looks back to Noah's day, right? He looks back and he says, the earth actually hasn't continued as it did from the beginning. It was destroyed once by a flood. And, and, and by the same word, the word of God, that same word is storing up for the world, not, not water again, right? God promises he'll never flood the, the world again by water, but fire this time. There was judgment and there will be judgment. But then look at how he answers those who don't believe it can happen, right? It's just been too long. Where is his promise? It's, you know, 2,000 years. Uh, look at what he says. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct as godliness 
and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. God will judge the world with fire, but he hasn't come back yet because he's patient. He's patient and he desires all people to come to repentance. And so he says, it's clear what sort of people you should be. If this is true, if, if we believe, if we see that judgment is coming, we believe God's word, it's, it's clear what kind of people we should be. We should live holy lives devoted to God and his ways. And we should, it says, hasten his coming. As you wait for the day of the Lord and hasten its coming. I just want to stop there for, for a minute. What could that possibly mean that we can hasten, we can make, make the coming of the Lord come sooner? And I can only think of two possible answers to that question. One is, is just to ask, right? We can, we can pray with the Apostle John, like at the end of Revelation, uh, come, Lord Jesus. Right? We eagerly wait for our Savior to come, and so we can pray and ask for that. Second, uh, we, we can make disciples of all nations, Matthew 24, 14 says, it's really interesting. The, the good news this is Jesus. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This word nations, right? This is the word ethne. So we get the word, the, you, know, you can hear ethnic groups. This means, uh, this means ethnic groups of people, people with their own location, their own geography, their own language, their own traditions. Um, and and these, are, these are people groups. And missiologists um, tell us that there are over 6,000 unreached people groups in the world today. Groups of people who have little or no access to the gospel. There's not Christians there. There's not a church there. Um, they don't know the name of Jesus. Many of them don't even have a Bible in their language. And Jesus said the good news would be proclaimed to every ethne, to all nations, and then the end will come. And there's still 6,000 plus group people who have not heard. So if we believe that there is in fact judgment coming, if God is patient and desires to save people from every nation before the end, and there's still nations without the gospel who haven't heard about Jesus, they don't have a church there, then isn't the way to hasten the day of the Lord to make disciples of those places, those people? Isn't, isn't, isn't this just what Jesus said right before he ascended to heaven, Matthew 28? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey what I commanded. You might say, well, you know, God would never call me overseas. <laughs> you know, that would be uncomfortable. I, you know, I have a mortgage and what would I do with my cars and, you know, if I, well, if I quit my job, I, you know. This is a question as much as for me as for you, I promise. Is your yes on the table to God? Do you, have you written God a blank check with your life? Or are there certain things that he could not ask you to do? Are there, is there a limited range? Yeah, Lord, I mean, you want me to serve and redeem our kids? Absolutely. You want me to buy this homeless person lunch? Sure. 
You want me to adopt a kid? Yes. You want me to adopt a kid with special needs? Uh, you want me to quit my job and move overseas? Is your yes on the table to God? Noah's faith was proven by his obedience. Right, he built the ark. He built it. Is our faith real? Is our faith real? Do we do, we do everything that Jesus commanded? I think if that's even a strange question for us, I think we've so divorced Christianity from discipleship. Like, there... <laughs> This is what it means to be a Christian, right? This is what Jesus said. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and what? Teaching them to obey everything I commanded. This is what disciples do. They obey everything that Jesus commanded. Is our faith proven by lives of holiness and godliness, by repenting of our sin and fighting against it? Is our life proven by our prayer, by begging God for the salvation of our friends and our neighbors and those around the world who don't know him? Is our faith proven by mission, by taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth, like he said? May God help us. Third, we see Noah's salvation. Noah's salvation. By faith, it says, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The flood did come. Noah and his family were, were saved and they began the world anew. Everything else was destroyed. Everyone else died. Faith paid off for Noah. Noah. It says he, he condemned the world, which is an interesting phrase. He condemned the world. I don't think this means that Noah was a judge of the world, that he was the judge who condemned the world, right? I think rather it means that by his faith and by his obedience, by his righteousness, he showed and proved that the world was wicked. There was the contrast there, right? Noah chose a direction in life. He chose to trust and obey God. And when the door shut on the ark, the world was condemned and he and his family were saved. I don't know about you, but I, I like to keep my options open. Sometimes I'll like delay a decision because I just, I don't want to decide. I don't want to limit what, I, what could happen or what I could do. But faith requires a decision, a direction, a choice. It's God's way over every other way. As Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Then Hebrews says, uh, it became, he became, and Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What does that mean? An heir, what's an heir? An heir is someone who, who uh, you know, legally... Uh, is entitled, inherits another's assets or property at their death. So what, what is an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith? This is someone who inherits righteousness. 
And this is an important point because you might think that Noah was saved because he was righteous, right? That that it was his good actions that led to him being favored by God and chosen by God. But but this says he was an heir of righteousness by faith, right? That is, not that he earned God's favor, but rather he received righteousness by faith as a free gift. This is one of the core human questions, Right, who's a good person? Who's a really good person? Can, can we do enough in this life? Do, do we get right standing with God that leads to salvation by what we do? And, and the Bible's consistent answer is that we can't earn righteousness. We cannot be good enough on our own. But that we can, because of what Christ has done, we can receive righteousness, God's goodness, right standing with God as a gift, as an inheritance. This is a a monumental distinction, right? Monumental, and and here's why. If you work a job, uh, then then you hopefully get paid for what you do, right? Maybe you're an unpaid intern, but you're you're hoping for that day, right? It's coming. Uh, And and I hope you you do get paid for what you do. Um, and, And imagine, you know, going to your mailbox and seeing the paycheck from your company, opening it, and, and rejoice, yes, I got my paycheck, woo, right? Is this how you respond? Some of you are like, yeah, man, it's tight, you know? Okay, I get it, I get that, right? But, but generally, right, when that, when that direct deposit hits your, hits your bank account, like, you're not throwing a party for that, right? You're, 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 why, why not? Why, does, why doesn't your heart well up with joy? Because you, you earned it. Right? You worked a certain amount and you were entitled to that pay and so you got it. You expect it. Right? It's more like, is, is it all there? Right? Do they, they really pay me enough? I worked this many hours. Like you, you check it. But imagine you go to your mailbox, you see an envelope, you open it and find that you're receiving a large and unexpected inheritance from a distant relative. You'd feel a little different than when you got your paycheck. You'd be filled with joy and gratitude. You'd be filled with wonder. Wow, I can't believe this. Righteousness, God's goodness, comes to us not as a paycheck, but as an inheritance. Righteousness comes not as a paycheck, but as an inheritance. We receive the righteousness of Christ full and free, simply by faith. And that changes us, right? That's the thing, it changes us. A paycheck doesn't change you, right? If if you earn it from God, that doesn't fill your heart with joy. But if it's a free gift that you didn't deserve, all of a sudden, there's gratitude, there's joy, right? And you then obey Jesus, not to earn anything from him, not because you're afraid you're not gonna measure up at the end, right? But out of love, out of an overflow of the joy at, at the inheritance that you have received. After the floodwaters receded, a God made a covenant with Noah and with all living creatures in which he promised not to flood the earth again, not to destroy um, the earth. He says man's, man's you know, heart is still evil uh, from, from his youth. His intentions are evil from his youth, but I won't flood the world again. As a sign of the covenant, he placed his bow in the clouds, right? The rainbow is a sign of the permanent 
covenant between God and all living creatures on earth. And the, the imagery here is striking, right? The, the bow, I don't know if you've thought of this. The, like this is a bow, like a, shoots a bow and arrow, right? Uh, like shoots arrows. Um, God's bow is no longer pointing down at the earth. Right? But it's pointing where? Into heaven. The next time judgment fell, it wouldn't be on humanity, but it would be on God himself. And God's judgment did fall again on a hill called Golgotha outside Jerusalem in the first century. Just hours before, Jesus had prayed and asked God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. What does that mean? What's that cup? The cup is the cup of God's wrath. It's God's judgment against sin. Jesus suffered but he, he drank that cup. He breathed his last. The earth shook. There was darkness at midday. Judgment fell. But instead of all living things absorbing the blow, Jesus, the eternal son of God, took the blow in our place. He was slain. And he ransomed people for God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And we rejoiced last week, Easter, we celebrated that Jesus did not stay dead, right? But he defeated death and he left it in the grave. He, he spoke with his disciples, he ate with them, he taught with them, and, and then he left them by ascending into heaven. And he will come again as he promised, this time not as a baby, but as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the judge of all. Judgment fell in the floodwaters of Noah's day. Judgment fell on Christ, on the cross. Judgment will fall again when he returns. And the question, I think, is this. Will you trust God's word? Will you be like Noah when that last day comes, will you be filled with terror because you've refused to listen to the call to repent and be saved? Will God's final judgment fall on you or will you trust Jesus and be spared? Please, please don't wait another moment. Don't ride the fence on this one. God's patience is waiting, but it will not wait forever. Faith requires a choice. It requires a direction. It requires a decision. You can't ride the fence forever. I pray that there are many hearing this who will turn from rebellion against God, will ask for his mercy, will believe his word, and will find life in his son. Let's pray. Father, it's a heavy thing to consider your judgment. I thank you for your word uh, that, that just doesn't pull any punches. Uh, thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you that you, you don't soft pedal 
uh, with us, but, but you tell us what we need to hear. Father, uh, as, as your children, we struggle just to remember these things. We struggle to live our lives in light of the coming judgment, in light of your resurrection, in light of the glory to come. We, we are filled with so much pride, so much fear, so much insecurity, um, so much, much uh, sorrow. Lord, there's just so many barriers. Uh, and we are, we are complicated people and we have, we have problems we don't even, aren't even aware of. So we need you. We need your help. By your spirit, would you speak into our hearts? Would you pour your love into our hearts? Would you help us to believe you? Please reveal the ways we're not. Show us those things so we can walk with you. Lord, we be a church of people who like Enoch, like Noah, who walk with you, who are not satisfied with just doing good things because they're the right thing to do, who aren't satisfied with religious observance, who aren't satisfied with just being church people. But would we not be satisfied with anything less than your presence and your power? We need you. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know you, would you draw them now? Would they see your love in, in Christ? Would they see, Jesus, how you took our judgment? We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.